Uh, good morning to each and every one of you today. Turn to the person next to you and say, good morning. <laughs> okay, I bet you that shocked you, didn't it? All right. Well, we praise the Lord that we could be in God's house. Thank you so much for the, we praise God for the great freedom and privilege that we have to worship him and to uh, come together and uh, encourage one another. Praise God. You know, when it comes to the topic of giving, I'm sure that many of us can identify with this story. Uh, two men were about ready to enter the church. So one brother turns to the other and says, the preacher says we should give until it hurts. But it hurts just to think about giving. And I'm sure that some of you, when you came in this morning and you looked at the bulletin, you said, oh, no, one of those messages. You know, there seems to be this natural tendency for people when it comes to giving to the Lord to become distressed, perhaps anxious or even confused. All right. Now, what do I mean by that? For example, some may feel distressed because they are giving too much or too little. Some people may become very uh, anxious because they feel that they are being pressured or coerced into giving. That's a very common reaction. And then there are also people who feel confused because they have so many questions. Like, for example, how much, to whom, to what, or even how often. And so people sometimes when they come to the whole topic of giving, they have this whole, whole, whole rainbow of questions and feelings. And so it's difficult to always try to address this issue. But we trust the Lord this morning because it is his word and his uh, purposes. And so we want to stay with that. This morning in the short time we have together, we're going to look into God's word for principles that will guide a disciple's giving. Prayerfully, these principles will put our hearts and minds at peace while challenging us to trust God and obey him in this important spiritual discipline. Now, there we have to remember that this part, this sermon is just part of a greater series of messages on spiritual disciplines for devoted disciples. And we're covering spiritual disciplines that all true disciples of Christ develop in their lives as they become more like Christ. That's the whole point. All of these disciplines are part and parcel of becoming a true disciple of Christ, moving from just being a person who is curious about Christ to moving to being convinced about Christ and then becoming committed to Christ. You see the point? You see the phases? And so we want to move from here to here. And that's when we become truly devoted disciples. This sermon and many others are part of our of the church vision to be be a disciple-making church that transforms lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. So, if Christ taught it and Christ said it, then we want to teach it. We want you to know it, and we hope that we will all together live it. And so, this becomes part and parcel of that. So far, our journey has started with beginning the journey to being a disciple. And then feeding on the word of God. And then the praying part. And last week, Pastor Bobby talked about proclaiming the gospel. 
This week we're talking about another discipline. It's a difficult one. It's called giving. And this is what we will this is where we will spend our time today. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we'll round out this series with two messages that will come from different folks. One will be on caring, and the other one will be on serving. And so be alert, come, and uh, see what God has to say to us about uh, spiritual disciplines for devoted disciples. So let's get into this topic this morning of giving. Giving is, uh, first of all, our giving to the Lord should be purposeful. should be purposeful. There should be a good reason for it. Like, for example, as an act of worship or thanksgiving to the Lord. And so uh, uh, we need to see this very clearly. For example, in, as an act of worship and thanksgiving to the Lord, look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 10. And it says this, Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you. And drop down to verse 17. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And so, it's clear in the scriptures then that the idea of giving to the Lord out of an act of worship, out of an act of thanksgiving, is very clear. So, that could be one of the purposes. Note that the emphasis is not on the amount, but the attitude of the heart. Notice also that we are all objects of God's love, grace, and mercies each and every day. If you don't realize this, turn to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, as we come to the Lord, we do it out of worship to him. We come out of thanksgiving to him. Why? Because of all the loving kindnesses that he has sent upon us. It also can be act of compassion for the needs of other people. Uh, Where do we see this? Well, the great Apostle Paul, under leading, being led by the Holy Spirit, recounts this uh, in, uh, event. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. He says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the pre-first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. But you alone, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And so sometimes as we look around, it's an act of compassion. It's an act of worship. It's an act of thanksgiving. These are the things that happen. And here is the act of compassion to meet the needs of individuals. Well, how about groups of individuals? Sure. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 3 to 4. And it says this, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging that the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And so as, as we look around us, we see these needs of individuals. We see these needs of groups of individuals. And our heart should go out to them. Our heart should be open to how the Lord might lead in order for us to help. 
Now, there comes a question, a natural one. There are many people and groups of people in need. How do we know which ones to help? How do we know which ones to help? Well, I've thought about this a lot. I've been like you. I've been in church a long time, and I've heard a lot of presentations, and I've heard of a lot of needs that people have. I go outside the church. I see a lot of needs. I hear, I hear about a lot of needs. So how am I going to prioritize them? Well, first of all, the scripture guides us the role of the family, our immediate needs. If you turn to Philippi, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. And it says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, the Lord is saying to us, he says, look, you, there are a lot of needs out there, but you have to prioritize. And one of those is you have to put your, the needs of your family uh, on top of that list. And then there are needs of other believers. If you turn to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And it says this. It says, so that while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But watch what he says next. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so your family, your church family, your spiritual brothers and sisters come into the line. They come into the list of priorities. Now, is there something further? Yes. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, it says do good to all people. Do good to all people. And so it also means other people. It doesn't mean close your heart, close your mind, and close your wallet or checkbook to the needs of other people. It doesn't say that. God wants us to be conscious. He wants us to help other people. And he will guide us accordingly. The local church, your church family, has needs that should be taken care of by members of the family. The financial needs of this church family should be among the highest priorities of our giving, okay? Our giving should be purposeful, an act of worship and thanksgiving to God, or to meet the needs of individuals or groups of individuals, all right? So, first of all, ask yourself that question. Is my giving purposeful, or is it just completely mindless? <laughs> is it just completely without any rhyme or reason? No, it has to be purposeful, What's the next thing we need to see? We need to see our giving should be private. It should be private. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, let's put this in context. The context of this was that Jesus Christ was pointing his finger at the Pharisees. And what were the Pharisees doing? Well, they were calling attention to themselves. So whenever they gave, they made a big show of this, you know, and they made sure everybody knew they were giving. They made sure everybody knew they were giving a lot. They made sure that people would glorify them. And Jesus comes back to them and he says, look, look, this isn't the point. 
If you're going to give, give privately. Give without the idea of gaining glory for yourselves. Our giving should be done quietly. No fanfare. Knowing that it is enough that God knows and our reward will come from him. Now, let's apply this to ourselves. For example, the question would come up. Does this mean I shouldn't fill out a pledge card? Should I not fill out a pledge card? You know, it's not calling attention to itself. Well, not really. You should fill out the pledge card because it is still confidential. It is still confidential. We don't read the names of people up here. We don't tell who gave what, how much, and, you know, you ought to go up and shake their hand and bow down before them and all that sort of stuff. We don't do that. It's still confidential. No one except the fundraising team knows who is giving what. No names, no extraordinary attention or glory drawn to the giver. Now, then why should I fill out the form? You should fill out the form because a way for the leadership to know how much they have to work with. We want to be good stewards, okay? We don't want to plan a $50 million building when we only have $10 million. Doesn't make sense, okay? But we need, your, we need to know what it is that God is laying upon your heart and what you are trusting God for. And allow us, allow the team, allow uh, the, the, the leaders to pray along with you and uh, to accomplish what you feel God has led you to do. So our giving needs need to be private. It needs to be between us and the Lord. The third principle our giving should be planned. It should be planned. It should be somehow systematic with some kind of plan or design behind it. If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you see this begin to unfold. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, verse 2. Paul's talking to the churches in Galatia, and he's getting ready to come and receive their offerings. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. All right? Now, that speaks of some system he has working. It speaks of some kind of planning that he has. At one time or another, I think... All of you have probably had this problem. This, uh, the, uh, the ushers are coming forward to collect the offering. And so you reach in your wallet and you suddenly realize, oh, I forgot my check. I forgot my envelope. I forgot my gift or something. So then you meekly open your wallet and you look in there and all you have is a $1,000 bill. Now, you're in trouble, deep trouble, all right? And you say to yourself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You see? And so you reach in there and you, and you, you either find a way to, to get change real quick or <laughs> you, you try your best to work your way around this. Okay? And so that's why it's good to have a plan, to have a system in place. Good planning can help prevent this kind of problem. But what would this good plan involve? What would a good plan look like? Well, look at verse 2. First, we ought to be prepared to give. 
on the first day of each week, one is to put aside and save. So you sit down on either Sunday or Monday, whatever is the first day of your week, and you say to yourself, I'm trusting God for this amount. I'm going to put it aside right now. Okay? And be intentional about what you might give. All right? The second thing you should do is what is found in verse 2. It's we ought to give proportionately. Proportionally. Some will have greater resources than others. All right? There is no minimum stated. Let me repeat that. There is no minimum that is stated. But please note that there is no maximum either. There is no maximum either. And so... This is an important principle that we give as God has blessed us. Okay? Now, I would repeat this quote that was given by the great preacher Peter Marshall. And he says, Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. <laughs> There's so much truth that's wrapped up in that. All right? And so it says, there's no minimum, there's no maximum. This is what pastors would often call grace giving. Grace giving. You know, my wife is always on me. She's, she, she likes to look over my shoulder and see what I'm doing, all right? And so on, the, on Monday morning, on Monday morning, I bring out the, the checkbook and I write my check for the church for the offering, okay? And she says, what are you doing? I said, it's the first day of the week. And I'm trusting God for at least this amount so that I'll be prepared to give it. And then she says, oh, okay, all right. And then that week, I don't know, some gift comes in or some unexpected refund comes in or something like that. And then my wife says, what are you going to do with that? And then I says, I'm going to tie that too. So I write another check, you see. And so we trust God for what he's we think he's going to give, and then we trust God what he really does give. You see? That's how it works. And so we have to give uh, in a systematic way. Well, that raises the question. What does the Bible teach about giving according to a tithe? T-I-T-H-E. What does it mean by according to a tithe? All right? A tithe was used in the Old Testament as a representative of a whole. So... You would give 10% of whatever uh, you had of value to the Lord, okay? Now, all of you have probably heard this before. Now, be patient with me, all right? Be patient with me. So, in the Old Testament, we find that tithes were actually divided into many different categories, all right? Many different categories. And uh, I've written, I've recorded some of these down for you. But you will find basically two categories of tithes. These were the required giving and those that were the free will giving. And the required giving, the people of God were definitely uh, uh, called to give these gifts. And I'll have the slide come up now and you will see how many there are. Levitical tithe, festival tithe. The poor, uh, tithe for the poor, and so on and so forth. And if you added all those up, guess what? They come to roughly about 23%. Roughly about 23%. Imagine if somebody came to you and said, you have to give the first 23% of your earnings to the Lord. That'd be pretty stiff, wouldn't it? Okay? But 
you have to add on top of this some more. Because there were teachings in the scripture that the people of Israel were to leave some of the crops in the field for the poor to collect. You had to include a temple tax. You had to include a Sabbath rest, which you had to take so that you couldn't work. So you couldn't have any income. Now, if you added all, and then the command to, or to forgive debts, okay? So if people owed you money, you said, that's okay. We just, called a, we just called it even. No problem there. If you added all this up, it could come out to 25% or more. 25% or more. What was the purpose of these required gifts? They were to help support the government of Israel to, to meet the needs of people. All right? And so that's what it was. Now, now, you said to yourself, okay, taxes I can live with. Paying for the government I can live with. But you know, the Old Testament also taught such things as free will offerings. Free will offerings. And I listed the verses there too. God's people gave out of a heart of love and devotion to the Lord. And if you look at this, there's no fixed percentage, no fixed time designated, and they were purely spontaneous and voluntary. Spontaneous and voluntary. Now, what can you conclude from all this? That giving was a big part of the life of God's people. It was an important part. Occupying as much as 25% or more of their concerns. That is a huge, huge amount. Well, what about the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, we are under a new covenant. Okay, we're under a new covenant because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so it changes a little bit. In the New Testament, one does not find believers commanded to give a tithe. It's not commanded that you give a tithe. We're only commanded to give. Look at Luke chapter 6. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, and it says this, Give, and it will be given to you. you will, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. We're simply told to give. That's all we're told. We're told that we should give. There's no, set, there's no set percentage as God may prosper you. That's the 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 passage. No, no, one is to do it willingly and voluntarily. Okay? So, where does the tithe come in? Where does the tithe come in? Let me put it this way. When, ever since F, when Effie and I, before we got married and after we got married, we made a commitment to the Lord... That we would always, no matter what would happen, what our situation would be, we would always start with 10% as best as we could. We would start with 10%. Just as a starter point. Okay? It could be for you. It could be 2%. It could be 1%. But whatever you do, sit down and have a starting point. Okay? And so we chose 10% because that's what they did in the Old Testament. So why not do it there? So we started there, and, and we had our ups and downs, and we had all kinds of emergencies and you know, all kinds of things that happened. But guess what? But guess what? We were able to continue giving pretty close, if not over, the tithe. 
And it's, it didn't take a whole lot of special gyrations. It didn't take, you know, going out there and having bake sales and, you know, garage sales and all this kind of stuff, you know, to raise the money. But God provided it. And God honored this commitment. And we are so glad that he did. As young believers and even now today as older believers, the giving has always been one area that we have seen God work in fantastic ways. In fantastic ways. And so in the New Testament now, there's no set percentage or anything like that. But as God prospers you. So as believers, as our giving must be planned, requiring some planning and being proportional as God enables. Now there's one more principle that I have to share with you. And this one is an important one, okay? Our giving should be positive. In other words, it should be a good experience, a joyous and a blessed experience. If you look at First Corinthians chapter, Second Corinthians chapter nine, Second Corinthians chapter nine, and starting with verse six on to verse ten, you'll see this unfold. Verse six: When it is done, it should be done generously. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All right? And so the idea here is that one ought to do it generously. I was uh, reading some books on giving, and I came across this uh, cute illustration. This uh, writer said there are four different kinds of givers. Uh, three different kinds of givers. Three different kinds. The flint the sponge, and the honeycomb, all right? The first one is the flint. This giver, you have to get to get something out of this giver, the flint, you have to hammer it and get only sparks and chips, all right? The second giver is the sponge is uh, characterized this way. You have to squeeze it and squeeze some more to get something out of it. The last one is the honeycomb. And the honeycomb, you just sit there and watch the honey flow out of it. You just watch it flow out. Of it. So I guess the question that was that I was challenged with, and I'm hoping you're challenged with, is what kind of giver are you? What kind of giver are you? Are you the flint? You gotta be hammered. Are you the sponge where you squeeze and squeeze? Or are you the honeycomb where it just flows out of you? You see, and so that's the Bible says, be generous in your giving. I was really taught this in a very uh, special way. I was on a mission trip to Peru and uh, we were hosted by a local family and uh, uh, they went out of their way to provide dinner for us each night. And we learned later that the food they were serving us was way beyond the normal food that they would eat. Normally, they eat a lot of beans. They eat a lot of starch and stuff like that to fill their stomachs. But when we were there, they even had little slivers of, of chicken, little slivers of chicken, all right? Not chunks of chickens, but slivers of chicken. And we were so touched and moved by that. So one of the ladies on our team said, would you allow me, would you allow me the privilege of, of sharing uh, uh, God's goodness with you? He didn't, she didn't want to insult them. And so they said, well, what do you have in mind? And she says, well, 
uh, when's the last time that you had a whole chicken? And, you know, they stopped and they thought, well, we haven't, you know. And, and then so she went out and she got the chicken for them and they feasted on it. They feasted on it. She gave generously. She gave generously. I looked over on the table and uh, each night we had, we had water, basically, bottled water. And that was expensive because the locals didn't drink bottled water. They drank the water that was available. And so I went to them and I says, um, I'd like to share in this moment. And would you allow me to get you something special? And they said, what would that? They said, what did you have in mind? And I says, well, do you like Pepsi? You know, do you like Coke? And they said, they looked at each other. And the children for sure were going, yeah, 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 you know. And I learned later that Pepsi and Coke in Peru was just like having, I don't know, champagne or something. They just, the local people just don't drink it. And so I went to the nearest store and I got, you know, the big three liter dealie and I walked back with them. And you should have seen the reaction on their face. You should have seen the reaction on their face. And so uh, because of the generosity, because of the love and the bond that we had with this family, there was joy all around. And so giving our giving ought to be a positive experience, a, a generous uh, experience and not a grudging experience. Well, if you look at further in verses 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, what do you discover? Well, you discover this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that all with having all sufficiency in everything you may have abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now please understand, this is not prosperity theology here. This is not prosperity theology. What Paul is just trying to say is that if we give willingly and cheerfully, God will do his part. God will do his part to make it possible. If you look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, the same principle is reiterated. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When we give positively, God will do his part. And when we give pos- po- uh, positively, generously, willfully, and cheerfully, then we will experience the blessings that were promised in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And if you look there, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And it says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, I I hear that all the time during Christmas time. (laughs) You know, especially from my children. And so, you know, we, we know, we know that there is a blessing that awaits us when we do it willfully, willingly, and cheerfully. So keep that in mind. 
Now, as we begin to come, if we review this thing again just a little bit, we see that our giving should be purposeful, our giving should be private, our giving should be planned, and our giving ought to be positive, all right? But how is that going to work in our, in our life? How is that going to work in our daily life, okay? Well, first of all, this message is mainly geared for those who are already disciples, already saved, already the ones who are co- convinced of Jesus Christ. And if you aren't that, then pretty much these principles and all of this probably don't apply to you. You operate by a different set of principles, and that's understandable. However, all of this, God meeting our needs and enabling us to give and so on and so forth, comes comes to us especially for those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. And so belonging to Jesus Christ, understanding that we are all sinners and that we are under a death sentence, if you will. But in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place for our sins. And because he did, we don't have to die. And because he died, we can live. We can live. We can have our sins forgiven and we can uh, be uh, with the Lord in an intimate, positive relationship. And so this is for those um, who are saved. Now, I'm reminded of this quote by Martin Luther. He was talking about believers. He's talking about true believers. And this is what he had to say about money. And he says, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. And Martin Luther, in his time, knew what he was talking about. He says we have to have a conversion of the head, conversion of the heart, and conversion of the pocketbook. You see, and that's the question is that as you and I become more like Jesus Christ, if we become more like the Son of God, we become, become more committed to Jesus Christ, we become more committed to God, there will be a change in our thinking about a lot of things, including giving, including giving. So what might that change be? For example, be available. Be available. Okay? Be available. And by this, I mean be alert to opportunities. Beware of, be aware of the needs of people around you. Be attuned to the Holy Spirit's leading in terms of who, what, when, where, and how to give. I'm guilty as anybody else, but I know that sometimes in America, not less so here in, in, in uh, Singapore, praise God, but in the United States, there are legions. There are legions of homeless people. And it's so common, it's very easy to just drive by without a thinking twice. It is so easy to just close your mind to people asking you for funds, for money, and things like that. And so we have to fight that temptation. We have to be aware and alert, but at the same time, we have to be available. And if the Holy Spirit moves us and guides us to give to a certain person, let's do it. Let's do it. My daughter was telling us a, a, a cute story of my grandson, and she was driving down the street, and they came to a stoplight. And so there was a, 
a homeless person on the side with a big sign, you know, uh, hungry, will you help me or something like that. And so grandson, you know, number one, slugging his mom and said, mom, 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 give me some money, give me some money, you know. And, and you know, my daughter said, wow, 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 you know. And then he, he turned around and he, and he says, I want to help that man. I want to help that man. And so, you know, they just got in this habit of when they see it, he has such a heart of compassion. He rolled down the window and gave him a, a, a portion of a, a money. And, and then he, he, he said, God bless you. And the car drove off, you know. And I said, my goodness, I'm very proud of that grandson. And she says, yeah. She says, it's gotten so common now. I have a jar of money in the car that I reserve just for these kinds of things. But I want my children to have that sensitivity that they can give, that they can give. And so this is an example. Number two, be available, but also be adventurous in your giving. Be adventurous in your giving. Try giving at new levels. Try giving at new levels. All right. And uh, try to remember and record what you have learned and gained from your experience of giving. Now, some are wrestling, for example, with how much to give to the building program or to give to missions or to give to the general ministries of the church. Understandable. Understandable. But perhaps some of us are giving at the same rate (laughs) that we gave back in 1939 or something like that, you know. It's, times have changed a little bit, all right? And so maybe we ought to re, re, recalculate this whole thing and see where God may give us to go. Allow the Lord to guide you. At first it might seem impossible, but God delights in the impossible. And trust Him. And trust Him for it. You know, I could tell you all kinds of stories, but one of my favorites is uh, it, it, God was so good that God was so good that what happened was that uh, in my church, my first church, it was a small church under 100 people, and, uh, and I was a seminary student, and I had quit my job as a pharmacist, and we were trusting the Lord to meet our needs, all right? And so uh, we did that, and so I walked into my office one day, and there was an envelope underneath the, the, the desktop thing and, and said to Pastor Arnold. And so I opened the envelope, and there was about 500 bucks in there. 500 bucks. And I said, oh, wow, what's going on here? You know, and then um, that was Sunday. And then Monday rolled around and my car blew up. (laughs) And guess how much the repair bill was? $500. (laughs) $500. And so even to this day, whenever I get money, I said, okay, what's going to blow up? What's going to blow up, you see? And so giving became an adventure with God. It became an adventure. We would test ourselves. We would, we would push ourselves to, to give the things. And we would see God more than be faithful. All right? And you say, oh, well, God only does that with pastors. Oh, come on. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He did it with us as when I was a pharmacist, too. All right? When I was a legal drug dealer. And so, you know, that's what God does. All right? And so be available, be adventurous in your giving. I I share this with the young couples that I do premarital counseling with. I said, when it comes to the area of money management, trust God and be adventurous in your giving. 
You know, you don't start with maybe 10%. Maybe start with 2%. Then go to 3%. Then go to 4%. Build your way up. And as you see God become, you know, just honor you and, and bless you, so be it. So be it. So be it. Giving is a spiritual discipline for, uh, for every devoted disciple of Christ. It should be purposeful, private, planned, and positive. And so I'll just leave you with this. Want to give? Then be ready to give. Know how to give. And give as the Lord leads. Let's pray. Father, as we come together, there are many things that you ask us to do. And many of them would take a big change in our lives. And so, Lord, we do not fear the changes. In fact, our prayer today is that we will welcome those changes. So that, Father, we can truly be your disciples. That, Lord, we can truly be committed followers of Christ. Father, soften our hearts. Remove away those layers of denials and rationalizations. And help us, Lord, to be generous and willing givers. In Jesus' name, amen.